0: amen uh, we 're going to uh, turn now our, our attention to uh the the text for this morning 's sermon and Just by way of in, introduction to the text, uh, just remind you last week was kind of like a parenthesis it was a it was a, an interruption of the flow of the narrative. That, that the gospel writer, Mark, um, was enlightening us about what happened with John the Baptist. But now we're moving back into the account of Jesus and his disciples and their ministry. Um, and so we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 30 uh, to 44. Um, and uh, we have a very familiar passage here, on uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Um, but let's turn our attention to the reading and preaching of God's word, Mark 6, 30, To 44. Hear God's Word. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And when they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves, and they went away in a boat to a desolate place uh, by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. Give Them something to eat, and they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups and on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and set a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask uh, for your help by your Spirit uh, to show us the glory of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Uh, Lord, even as we read and study your word, nourish us by it, we ask. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think it's a fair question to ask. What do you most miss in these strange days? Um, it's, it's, uh, this is a pretty minor thing, but I found it interesting, the things that I have been able to get and the things that I, I seem, that seems very hard to get. I've uh, been one of the few people in our household to go out and to go to the store and not every time, but most times that I go out, I swing by the Dunkin' Donuts drive through because, uh, of course, that's something that I miss. Um, and every time that I go there, I ask them the same question. Do you have Boston Cream Donuts? And every single time, they have said no. I, I, I don't, there's a run on Boston Cream Donuts. Maybe not for you. Maybe you have a Dunkin' Donuts near you that has plenty, but for, for Bloomfield, for me anyway, for the five times or so that I've gone, um, they've been out. Now, obviously, that's, that's a pretty silly thing to, to, to worry about, and it's not a big deal. There are bigger longings, aren't there? To be with friends, to be connected in the fellowship of the body of Christ, to sit around the Lord's table. Um, I'm not sure all of what the Lord is doing in these times, but I do think he is beginning to renew a hunger for himself, in us, a hunger for himself in us. He's he's taking away the things that that we normally enjoy. And he's saying, long for me. And here's the the good news is that in the midst of this trial, the Lord provides. He is the good shepherd. And in him, we shall not want, even when we lack Boston cream donuts. So this is the idea that I want to I want to look at this morning that the Lord is our shepherd and that we shall not want. So first I want to see this as we look at the disciples in particular, that the good shepherd knows your every need. He knows your every need. Um, As I mentioned in the beginning, Uh, This is this this text follows that little interruption by John the Baptist. But if you'll remember before that little interruption by John the Baptist, actually, the thing that sort of induced uh, uh, Mark to tell us the story was Herod's hearing about what the disciples were teaching about Jesus and who this Jesus was. There was uh, a word going out about the, the missionary journey, this very early training missionary journey of the disciples who are going out and telling the world the good news of Jesus Christ. And so uh, now we're coming to the point where those 12 disciples have come back. They had gone out two by two, and now they've come back and are giving a report uh, to Jesus. Um, And if you'll remember something about the journey itself, they weren't to take anything with them except uh, a staff. Uh, They were to wear sandals. And only one tunic. And that was it. No food, nothing else. They were to rely on the Lord. They were to rely and trust uh, on God. And that that was the part of their training. To trust in the provision of God while they proclaimed the good news. And while they acted in powerful ways and cast out demons. And it was a fruitful time of ministry. In fact, word of their ministry, as we've already noted, had spread even and reached Herod's ears. And here in the text, we're told that they reported all that they had done and taught. There's a sense of excitement that the the disciples had that they were desiring to share with Jesus. And then in verses 31 uh, to 33, um, it says this, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure, not even to eat. And then in verse 33, now many saw them uh, going as they were traveling to the desolate place, and recognized them. Do you notice the word them? They were coming and going, not not necessarily recognizing Jesus alone, but his disciples, they had become known. It was a fruitful time of ministry. People were beginning to to see them as as these disciples, these followers of Jesus who were sharing the good news, and they wanted to listen to them. And it was no longer Jesus who was becoming well-known but his disciples were as well. And the thing is, they were no doubt exhausted, exhausted. Um, I have to say, I've almost forgotten what it means to sort of be peopled out or to be (laughs) around people too much. I don't remember what that's like Um, to get to the place where you just want to be left alone for a time. Um, But I'm sure for you introverted types, You still remember um, what it's like to be constantly around people, to have too many social engagements on your calendar. Um, No doubt the disciples were tired of the constancy of having to deal with people, and they were physically tired, traveling about with very little uh, and having to rest in the good graces of the people they met for food and shelter. They were hungry. They were worn out. Well, the Lord Jesus, he knows their needs. In fact, he knows them better than they know themselves. And we see this in a few ways. I just want to point out, I think, four ways here. First, um, the way that Jesus knows their needs. He knows their need of encouragement. Um, While they're worn out, at the same time, as I've already noted, they're eager to report their missionary work to Jesus. Now, this is an interesting thing, of course, because Jesus goes out and shares the gospel, and he's the one that has taken the the bulk of the ministry in many ways. And Jesus goes out uh, and and comes back, and, um, you know, he's the leader, and and, uh, he's the Lord. Uh, But here, it's the disciples who've gone out, and they've come back, and they're excited to tell Jesus. And Jesus listens to them. One commentator likened it to kindergartners telling their parents all about the happenings of their school day. I thought that was an interesting picture. Um, You know, a kindergartner is excited. They're excited about everything. And they're very excited about what they're learning in school. And so they come home and they're so excited. And you can, as a parent, you just get excited for them, even though they're talking about learning what the letter A is or the letter B is. Um, But there's an excitement and Jesus listens to them. And he is excited because of their joy in sharing the gospel, and he delights in them. And I think the same is true of us. He he soaks in their eager report and delights in them. And how much of that, you know, that little picture is an encouragement to us to know that the Lord Jesus listens to us that we can share all of our meager exploits to him and that he longs to hear about it. And this is one way in which the good shepherd encourages us. You see, he hears the bleeding of his sheep. He knows them, each and every one of them, and they know him. But there's a second thing. Jesus knows the disciples need rest. That's, that's what he says. He he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. He knows that they need rest. And Jesus himself was somebody who needed rest. He was, he was somebody who would go off into the desolate place to pray and to rest. Um, And we see this throughout the gospel. And now it's his disciples who are exhausted. And in a moment, This is an interesting thing, but in a moment we'll see that it doesn't come to pass, at least not in the way that the disciples had envisioned it. In fact, Jesus will seemingly go back on that provision of rest rather than give them rest. He'll put them to work. But for now, I just want us to notice that the good shepherd knows our every need and he's aware when we're tired, when we're weary, and he cares for us. I think sometimes in the midst of trying things, we can begin to tell ourselves that God is not paying attention, that he doesn't know. Or that if he knows what's going on, um, that if he knew those things, that he would actually enter in and relieve us of the rest. But the Lord is not unaware of our needs. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, but if God so closed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But here's the amazing part of God knowing our needs. Christ himself intimately knows our needs he knows what it means for us to be weary and to be hungry he knows what it is to be poor he knows what it means to have grief to feel loss and to hurt the good shepherd knows us intimately and he knows our every need in fact he knows them better than we do the third thing that he knows in terms of our needs is he knows that we need, as his disciples, as his followers, we have a need for compassion. And not just for compassion towards us, but we have a need for compassion towards others. Notice here that when they come to the shores of the lake, um, Jesus sees the crowd and he has compassion On the crowd. And now I'm sure the disciples uh, were excited to finally get on that boat, to get away from the crowds and to go off into a desolate place. But then, as they approach the shore and they see a mass of people, thousands upon thousands of people, waiting for them, I can just imagine their hearts sinking as they approach the shore. I can imagine Peter, and maybe he was at the tiller, uh, thinking, maybe if I just turn the boat around. Oh, go off to the sea. We can, we can rest on the ocean. Um, but they didn't. And we aren't told who, uh, what their attitudes were at this very moment. But how discouraging it must have been. But here's the thing. Maybe as they approached the, the shore, they thought, well, at least Jesus is on board. And he'll take care of the crowds for us. I mean, after all, he's brought us here to relieve us, to give us rest. And, and he'll take care of the crowds. Well, he does take care of the crowds, but he doesn't do it in the way that they envisioned. So they embark they disembark. um, And instead of dismissing the crowd, he looks on them just as he looks on the 12 and he has compassion as sheep without a shepherd. And what does he do? He begins to teach them. And did you notice this this little word here? It says, he begins to teach them not a few things, not a short devo. He teaches them many things. Kids, I'm calling out to my kids, and uh, maybe you've experienced this. Adults have experienced this too. But kids, I I know what this is like. I remember these feelings. Have you ever gone with your parents to an event or a party? And before going, you ask, because you really didn't want to go, do we have to stay long? And your parents said, no, no, we're just going to stop by for a short time. And you get there, and short time turns into medium time. And then you overhear your parents say, sure, we have time for one more (laughs) da-da-da-da-da, whatever. Kids, how do you feel at that very moment? (laughs) Exasperation, right? You feel annoyance or frustration. Well, I'm sure this is the feeling that the disciples had in this moment. Exasperation, exhaustion, annoyance, frustration. After all, Jesus had taken them there so that they could have a rest. That was their goal. So it begs a question, is Jesus breaking his promise? It feels like it in the moment, doesn't it? And I think sometimes we feel like this with the Lord Jesus. Things don't turn out the way that we want or expect. And part of the reason for this is that when we pray for something, we often pray with our answer in mind. We pray to the Lord, we ask him and we think, okay, if he answers me, this is what it will look like. This is, this is what is, he's going to do for me. Or we look at the promises of God and we say, This is how those promises will play out in my life. But here's the thing the Good Shepherd knows us better than we know ourselves. And and this is really a very, a very good and necessary thing. He knows more than just our felt needs, he knows our deepest needs. He was going to give rest to his disciples in his way and in his time. But in the meantime, his disciples needed two things. They needed to learn compassion. And secondly, they needed to trust in his provision, no matter what it looked like. They needed to learn compassion and they needed to trust in his provision, whatever it looked like. First, they needed to to learn compassion. They needed to learn to love as Christ himself loves. It wasn't enough for them as as professional ministry people uh, to clock in and clock out, to go on their missionary journey, and then at the end of the day, punch the time card. Because because that's not how compassion works. Um, This is sometimes a hard thing for a pastor to hear for me to hear. I remember some years ago, I was working with an intern who had recently been hired by the church. And he had the aim of getting ordained and becoming an assistant pastor. He was on that path. And during this time, uh, he came to me with a schedule for his week. And that's a useful thing. You can sort of see all the things that you have to do and sort of be uh, accountable for time. Um, Yet his biggest concern was that Some of his duties didn't quite fit into this tight schedule and often went over the 40 hours that he thought he was allotted. And so one time he came in on a Tuesday morning and says to me, and I don't remember all the details, but something to the effect of, Rob, I worked extra on Saturday because I had to meet some folks for counseling. And I don't think I'm going to be able to do the Sunday school lesson for this week Um, or I'm not going to be able to meet with so-and-so with you or whatever it was. And so we wrestled together for some time for for many days and weeks um, talking about the nature of ministry that while it's vitally important to protect time with your family, at the end of the day, people's needs aren't a convenient thing. It's not how compassion works. Yet now, some years later, As I reflect in my own ministry, I often find my heart desiring to clock in and clock out sometimes. To say to the hurting and needy, come back between the hours of nine and five. But this isn't just a concern for the professional minister. Compassion is not something that any of us get to turn on or turn off. In fact, the very word of it, uh, compassion, here in the New Testament uh, that are, is applying to Jesus, is something that, is, that, that comes from within us, that, that is uh, something that, that is deep in the belly, in the gut. Um, it is that deep, gut-wrenching, physical ache that we get when someone is in need. It ought not to be something that we shut off or ignore. It ought to be something that we can't help but act on. And that's what the good shepherd does. He knows our need for compassion, and so he he demonstrates it for us, and he gives it to us. Not only did the disciples need to learn compassion, they also needed to learn to trust in the Lord's provision. Oftentimes, Christ's provision is just enough for the moment. It comes in the midst of a crisis or in that very moment when we've come to the end of ourselves. And he says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so it is here in our text, in the midst of the crowds, in the middle of nowhere, with no food, no supplies, and thousands of lost sheep, Jesus is going to provide And the disciples, in their exasperation, they come to Jesus with the problem, right? The problem of food. They say, Lord, day's over. Let's go home. Let's send them home. We can rest. We can have our our, our meager meal together. But let's send them home to get their own food. We have no food to serve them. But Jesus turns it back on them. In their weariness, in their utter exhaustion, he asks them for the impossible. You give them something to eat. You. Jesus has brought them to the end of themselves. And that was his provision. That was his aim, to show them their weakness, to show them their lack of compassion and their lack of power. He knew what the disciples needed most was to trust him, that all that they needed was to know that he was the compassionate one who was all powerful, that was able to provide and that they were to rest in him. And isn't that what we all need to trust in the provision of the good shepherd to come to the recognition that we do not have within ourselves, the resources for life or the resources to love. I wonder if this is not what the Lord is doing now in the midst of this moment of history. He is bringing us to the end of ourselves, to the end of our self-reliance, that he might show himself to be the one, the only one who can provide what we need to sustain us. So the disciples go out, find their meager resources, and they bring five loaves, And two fishes. Nowhere in the realm of reality is that enough food. It's hardly enough food for the 12. They could, you know, parse it out and probably be okay, but that's not much. Here there were 5,000 plus people in the crowd. 5,000 men, presumably, wives and children, easily 10,000 people. Jesus knew their needs, all of them. He knew the disciples' needs. He knew the crowd's needs. He knew their need of encouragement, their need of rest. He knew their need for compassion, both compassion to be shown to them and compassion that they needed to show to others. And he knew their need to trust in him alone for their provision. And he knows our needs too. And this is my final point. The good shepherd provides all that we need. Jesus looked on the crowd with compassion and realized that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what does he do? What does he do? Well, first, he feeds them his word. The text says that he teaches them many things. Not that the disciples realized this in the moment, But they were actually at this very moment being relieved, being given rest. No longer were they being asked to go and do the ministry. But here the Lord Jesus was graciously teaching. And they were then becoming the ones sitting, sheep sitting under the shepherds' ministry. They were getting to feast on the words of Jesus along with the crowds. They were being refreshed and renewed as well. And they were no longer the ones having to do the ministry. And so even before the fish and loaves were brought out, even before they went out and found these, this little meager meal that the Lord would transform by the glorious power, the Lord was providing a great feast. You see, Jesus understood the need for the spiritual food, that it was greater than the need for the physical food. He understood it himself when he faced hunger in the wilderness for 40 days. And in that time, he was tempted to turn stones into bread. And as we see in our text, he is certainly more than capable and able to turn stones into bread. But his response to the temptation was to quote Deuteronomy saying, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so he fed his people. As the great shepherd of the sheep, he led them into green pastures and he led them by still waters and he restored their souls. We are a spiritual people in need of spiritual food, but we are also a physical people. We are flesh and blood, and oftentimes our felt needs are often very physical, and and they're real needs. We get sick. We get hungry. We need shelter and all those other physical provisions necessary for life. But I wonder how often do we see our spiritual needs with that same kind of urgency that we go to the grocery store with panic when we see empty shelves How often do we go to God's word to that storehouse of life with that same kind of urgency that we go on to Instacart to fill up our shopping carts so that we would have food? I don't know. I wonder. Jesus looked on the crowd and he saw their spiritual needs first and foremost with his disciples He was also meeting their spiritual needs first and foremost. Friends, we need the provision of Christ spiritually. Above all else, we need his feeding. We need his life-giving words. And yet, the people were also very hungry. Hungry for food. By the day's end, they needed sustenance. And Jesus is not only concerned with their spiritual food, uh, after all, we are body and soul. And so the disciples bring the disciples bring forth this meager offering, five loaves and two fishes. And the Lord takes these meager provisions and he lifts them up to the Lord. And he gives thanks to God for them. He blesses them. And then in the power of his might, he takes those meager offerings and he transforms it into a feast for 10,000. Like their forebears in the wilderness, they ate the bread of heaven, manna. The Lord provides all that we need, including our daily bread. And so this is why the Lord says, when you pray, this is how you should pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And he provides. But it ought not to be missed that even this physical provision was a picture It was a picture. It was a gospel proclamation that would find its fulfillment in his death. His body would be broken for us and his blood shed for us that we might one day enjoy the banquet table of glory. That we might one day join with him in heaven and enjoy a feast. And that happens through the provision of himself as the bread of life. He provides for us himself now in the wilderness. But there's a day coming when he, we will all gather round that banqueting table with our shepherd, and we will feast with him in glory. I want to take just a moment, if you'll allow me, to talk a little bit about the Lord's Supper. For those of you who are, aren't familiar with our church, we celebrate the Lord's Supper weekly. And in this time, we've not been able to do that because of our distance from one another. And there are, are many things that I miss in this moment of time, but I want to echo Marcos Iglesias' thoughts on Thursday night when I interviewed him for our series, Living in the Light of Glory, when he said, what I miss most is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and sharing that Meal with one another. I too miss that. I miss the means of grace in which the word of God is made visible and tangible. And some have asked me, uh, because we are all hungry for it, some have asked me, can we do it virtually? Um, And and there are quite a few reasons why I don't think we can. Um, First, it's to be administered by the pastor, under the authority and discipline of the elders, guarding and protecting that meal as a family meal. And there's no way to do that virtually. It's just not practical. Second, it's a corporate, and maybe even a better word, it's a corporal meal. It's a, it's a physical meal. It's, it's meant to be shared together as the body comes together. And here, we, 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 we can't see each other. I can't see you. Even as I preach, I can't, I can't see you. I can't proclaim to you in the way that that, that is meant to be the, 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 the glorious hope of the, 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 the communion, the, the body and blood of Christ shed for us. Uh, it's a corporal meal, and it's meant to be shared together as a corporate body when we come together, and we touch it together, and we taste it together, and we smell it, and we eat it together. In that sense, virtual communion is, isn't a thing. I think one of the assets of technology is that it can make a pretty good facsimile of our corporate worship. I've been surprised. But really, at the end of the day, it's a facsimile. As much as I enjoy this temporary means of doing church, it is not the meeting together. Certainly, it's an aid to our family worship. And we can communicate a little bit, but we are not present bodily with one another. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the Lord Jesus is not eating the meal with us now. Yeah, as we gather weekly and we feast on Christ, he says, I will not eat this until I return, until we come together, until that, that great day when finally, bodily, we are present with our Savior, united with him, physically, And then we'll feast with him. But for now, we feast together when we are bodily, physically present with one another. But there is a glorious day coming when there will be a great feast. And so I want to encourage you to to think about this as a time of hungering. Like the disciples who got to that place of refreshment and had to, to wait and to work so that they could see their desperate need. And I think this time in God's provision, he is causing us to hunger, to long for that coming together as the body of Christ. And so let's take this moment to consider what it looks like that day when, first, when we get to come together and and feast as as a body of Christ. But secondly, to think about this longing in terms of the longing that we have to be with our Savior in glory and to feast with him and enjoy all the provisions of heaven. What a glorious day that is. He's going to lead us into that banqueting table. By his grace and his mercy, he is guiding us and shepherding us. And even here in the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear because He is with us. The good shepherd. And he prepares a banquet before us in the presence of our enemies. What glorious hope this is that the bread of heaven came down to earth to provide for us all that we need. Let's pray.